0: Equal Housing Lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank.
2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money and put this one in context. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you on a day like today, you need it. So call me at one 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Not possible. Gal 30,000. Can't be. On the eve of a massive super spreader event, at a time when our hospitals are packed with COVID patients and we're barely keeping new cases under 200,000 a day, this milestone seems downright crazy. But after another terrific day where the Dow surged 455 points, S&P jumped 1.62%, and the Nasdaq gained 1.31%, I am telling you that this surge to $30,000, do not look at it that way. (coughs) So how do we explain this raging bull market? You know what? Let's just go right to it. No more nonsense. I'm going to give you 10 tipping points, okay? 10 reasons why this thing's working. Not all of them are going to hold up over time. But you got to know what the tipping points were to get to $30,000. 1st we finally got certain in the election. Results won't be overturned. With President Trump filing suit after suit and the judiciary stuff with the Republicans, there was a slim chance to be able to beat Biden in the courts, if not the polls. But he couldn't pull it off. At the end of the day, there just wasn't any fraud. So when the president lost his lawsuit in Pennsylvania this Saturday, the jig was up. No constitutional crisis, no problem. Tradition, transition. Second, the Vaccines. Well, well, we got one vaccine with 95% efficacy from Pfizer. Uh, well, maybe they just got lucky. Uh, well, and then we got a second one similar. Well, it made us feel better. But then this week, AstraZeneca also reported strong data for its vaccine candidate, and three's a charm. Among the three, it's possible that I think when I put, it, put the pen to paper, 100 million doses by the, for the United States, maybe even by year's end if they get the uh, delivery right, which they probably will, although the actual distribution at the end is going to be difficult. That's spectacular. And we have to hope that the supply chain to the first responders and the nursing homes and then you get it to the pharmaceutical level without too much trouble. Now, all year, what have I been saying? I say, trust the scientists, trust the scientists. And that bet's paying off. Tipping point number three, COVID is raging now. Once we get vaccinated, we can reopen the economy. And remember, the market always looks forward. So it, this isn't a fool's errand. It's almost a foot race between the virus and the vaccine. We're getting we're, we're cutting a little close for my breath. accoutrements of COVID. But soon enough, we'll be able to get back to normal. So the hardest hit stocks are making a huge comeback. And there you have to think about the airlines, the hotels, the cruise lines, or national restaurant chains like Darden, Cheesecake Factory, that will come out stronger than ever because so many of their smaller competitors are going under. Disneyland can reopen. The marginal retailers like Macy's and Kohl's don't seem so marginal anymore. They can survive, maybe even thrive like a Nordstrom tonight. People will be able to shop again, and that's why Simon Properties for the best remaining mall real estate goes higher, Federal Realty for Shopping Centers. Now, don't forget this, Alphabet. Okay, that's the parent of Google. They get get a boost once the travel and leisure industry starts advertising again. It's been their principal source of growth. Tipping point number four, the pandemic has lasted so darn long that people keep fleeing cities for the roomier houses in the suburbs of the country. They're buying homes out of there, and they're remodeling extra bedrooms into classrooms, entertainment centers, and offices. That's still driving incredible sales for the likes of Home Depot, Lowe's, Williams-Sonoma, Stanley Black & Decker. Same goes for Whirlpool. Boy, are they a short supply. Walmart, Costco, Target, Amazon, and yes, even Apple. Remember last night with Larry Williams? Boy, that was a trade that's already started paying dividends. Look, the weaker, more troubled retailers are, right now are having their day in the sun. But if the current outbreak keeps getting worse, I'm telling you, we're going to revert. We're going to swap back into the major players, the essential, essential retailers, until the vaccine's actually in our veins. Still, I think the home builders, all the housing-related retailers, they can have room to run as long as rates stay low. Plus, when you move away from the city, you need a car, hence the strength of the whole auto complex, including everything that goes into them. Think Illinois Toolworks, DuPont, NXP semiconductors. All the dealers, remember we had Lithia? I like those guys. Yeah, you know, Carvana, what can I say? Tipping point number five, the search for the next test. Now, there's a whole generation of mostly younger investors who've seen this unbelievable run in Tesla. It may be the greatest growth story ever. So they're buying its stock. But they're also going after the derivatives, the Chinese Tesla, the hydrogen engine Tesla. We have the Nikola on the show tonight. Yes, that's that hydrogen truck. And the endless, well, they just are endless, and they keep exploding higher, particularly the Chinese ones. I I thought they reversed at the end of the day, so be careful with this group. Yep, Tesla may be the most influential stock in the market because it has totally broken the mold of what we thought could happen to a car company. Which brings me to the tipping point number six. The Robin Hood crowd and their fellow travelers, we just use that, this is a shorthand. I know that there's many guys, I mean, yeah, but it's what people talk about. They go Robin Hood, the hoodies. We tend to view the hoodies as day traders pouncing on short squeezes. But I think the people who bought stocks at the absolute low in March and April when older professionals were cashing out. They made some huge bets, in some cases with government money, and they've learned how to do their own research. They do not rely on Wall Street research. They can Google it themselves. They can figure it out. They go to the websites, do all the things that they should be doing. I wish Wall Street would stop looking down on them. These younger investors have changed the character of the market, turning into a stock picker's paradise. Tipping point seven, the buyers are overwhelming the sellers right now. In the last few days, we've seen four gigantic secondaries, American Airlines, Carnival, Norwegian Cruise, and Plug Power. And each of them got lapped up. It's a virtuous circle right now. The companies get the money they need to stay afloat, and everyone's happy. Dilution seems to mean nothing to these buyers. It does to me, but nothing to them. I want to be careful here, as the market will eventually be overwhelmed by these offerings if they keep up. But it has not happened yet. Tipping point number eight. The environmentalists are coming. And they're about to save the oil industry. The Trump administration has been so pro-fossil fuels that it crushed the oil and gas industry because these companies can't stop themselves from overproducing. I don't know how far Biden will go to rein in the producers, but they've got they've got to figure he'll be a lot more environmentally friendly than Trump. That pushes up the price of oil and gas while also giving the alternative energy stocks a huge boost. Tipping point number nine. The trade war is going to wind down. For years, I've defended Trump's decision to crack down the Chinese government's unfair trade practices. We had to do something because they were running circles around us. But Wall Street hated the trade war the whole time. The business community wants a more amicable relationship with China. I think Biden will turn down the heat. Who's that good for? How about GE? How about Boeing? How about Honeywell? How about 3M? Emerson? Apple? Starbucks? Yes, Nike. I mean, any company that does a ton of business over there. You can see it in their stocks. They keep roaring. Finally, number 10, turns out that Biden's a lot more market-friendly than we thought. Remember during the primaries, I told you the market wanted a Biden-versus-Trump race because either way, business comes out fine. A lot of people convinced themselves that the Democratic Party belonged to the hardliners, but Biden didn't pick Elizabeth Warren for Treasury Secretary. He picked former Fed chief Janet Yellen, whom Wall Street adores. Good news for the bank stocks. If he keeps Jay Powell as Fed chief, like Obama did with Ben Bernanke, then you're going to see an even bigger gallop in the bank, in the stocks of the banks because they adore Jay Powell too, and not to mention the rest of the market. I mean, no. You think it's just a, by happenstance that Wells Fargo broke out today? I mean. Janet Yellen doesn't, she didn't like Wells Fargo, but I think that she's not going to try to break it up. Of course, not everything's going to work out. Tech can be spotty here unless it has a catalyst up its sleeve like 5G, think Apple, or some connection to Bitcoin, think PayPal or Square. Drugs are tough unless you've got some sort of consumer angle, like uh, AbbVie with Botox. People are going to go back to using Botox. But the bottom line, stick with the tipping point plays. These are the drivers of the incredible move. I've profiled these companies over and over again to you, and that's just going to be the next leg higher. Even as I think the overheated stocks like the SPACs, the next test of place, I'd like to see them cool off, recharge, so to speak, before they can resume the run. So don't be afraid to ring the register, because what I don't want you to do is have amazing gains and then give them back like I saw so many people do in 2000. David in New Jersey, David. Bullyard, Jib. Oh, yeah. I have a two-part question. Uh, I have Pfizer. I know they got billions of dollars of contracts, the logistics figured out, makes its own dry ice, approval any day, so I was thinking of holding that, I guess. And the second part is a spinoff it finally completed of Upjohn, the Myland last week. Yeah. You know, the company Viatris, VTRS. We got 12.4 shares per hundred on that. It's been up 8% the first week. Both of these stocks pay dividends uh, on both of them. Should I buy more? Well, no, sell. I mean, look, I, I like growth. Uh, the, these are very inexpensive stocks, but they've been inexpensive for ages. And I think that the better buys here are growth stocks that also have decent dividends. Uh, I mean, here I'm thinking about an Eli Lilly or Bristol Myers, which I think are better both of them to own than that, than either one of those. Let's go to Jeff in Oklahoma. Jeff. What's up, Jim? Big booyah to you. Right back at you. Okay, my question is uh, about KB Homes. Do you think that would be a good uh,
1: long-term investment?
2: Well, they did have a great quarter. Uh, long-term, the home builders have never been that great. Uh, because eventually they rate, the Fed raises rates and they go back down. I think they're fine right now. You've got to buy them when they're troughing, them when they're going down. They're not what the market wants right now. The market wants mostly, I would say, you know, beating up stocks that have rallied, that are starting to rally uh, like a bank rather than a home builder, but that's a very good company. They did have a very good quarter. I like their quarter. Let's go to Max in California. Max. Hey, Kramer. Thanks Yo. for taking my call. Of course. You're hilarious. Thank you. Thank um, you. I just wanted to ask you about Palantir. I noticed that it's gone up uh, quite a bit in the last month, but I really want to buy it. When should I buy it? Well, I mean, look, Look. obviously Palantir was one of these companies that didn't use traditional method like Google didn't use traditional method to be able to come public. And what happened is, is that obviously the price was way too low. I think that we're now seeing a more, uh, uh, let's say, a more natural price than where it should have been because it's a good growth company. But I can't recommend coming in after just double. Uh, I'm going to let someone else make that kind of money. It's too hard for me. All right. Now, we've hit a milestone, Dow 30,000. The 10 tipping points are behind this raging market, and they're right here. And you can see that probably the most surprising one, markets welcome Biden transition. And you know what? Isn't it great to not have to get up at 230 like I do and see a tweet that trashes one of the companies that you might own? they have money tonight. Printing in PC Powerhouse HP Inc. has been on a tear, and today's quarterly report may, I think, justify this move. I'm digging into the numbers with the CEO of Freshwell Furnies. And boy, uh, they, oh, Nikola, all right, now I know you want to watch that because it is the poster child for the overheated hydrogen EV stocks, but it's come roaring back. Hey, why don't we take a fresh look with the company's top brass, figure out, let's say, the tenor of things. And I always say I have the smartest audience in television, so I'm going to catch up with some homework, including one stock that I think should be bought. So I want you to stick with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: What happens to a company like HP Inc. when we finally beat the pandemic, when science rules? It first looked like COVID would crush this PC and printing powerhouse. They sell a ton of office hardware. But a funny thing happened after we went into lockdown. HP got a huge boost from the stay-at-home economy. People stuck working from home had to buy new printers and computers like me. This stock has been moving steadily higher for months. And after the close today, HP justified the move. Company reported a strong quarter, 10 cent earnings beat off 52 cent basis, sizable revenue beat. Management gave you bullish guidance for the next quarter. Underneath the headline numbers, some cross cards. The whole beat was driven by HP's printing division. That had been a weaker business before. But the, pe- the actual business that we think of as the, as the actual plain old computer business, I don't know. They eh, just say it a little bit lighter than they expected, but altogether pretty darn good. Hey, let's not take it from me. Let's check in with Enrique Loris. He's the president and CEO of HPA. Get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Vision Loris, welcome back to Man Money.
3: Dean, thank you for having me here.
2: All right, Enrique, uh, you are generating a huge amount of cash flow. You've turned around the printing division perfectly. Is this the the game plan? Reward people with a higher dividend. This is what you said you would do. Buy back shares and just keep the machine going.
3: So this is exactly what we're doing, Jim. We had, as you said, a very strong quarter where we over-delivered on revenue, over-delivered on EPS. We had a record shipments for both PCs and printers, and we generated cash flow that we used to create value for our shareholders. Yes. So, you know, in the last two quarters, we have bought close to 9% of the outstanding shares of the company. That's a remarkable number.
2: Now, I know, but I was looking at it. I mean, since since uh, it was spun off, I mean, there's just a gigantic amount that has been bought back. But I think maybe more important for a lot of our viewers is you're boosting the dividend when a lot of people cut their dividends.
3: We, this, you should take this as a sign of the confidence we have in the future of the company. We are announcing today that we are going to be increasing dividend by 10 percent in fiscal year 21. And this is driven by the strong momentum that we see in our businesses, both in print and in personal systems.
2: When you came in, I challenged you at a breakfast in San Francisco. I didn't think you could turn around printer. I was so worried about printing. We even we brainstormed about how to fix it. You had a plan. It looks like it's winning.
3: The plan is working, and you may remember that that day we were talking about the subscription business that we are building. Right. We am very pleased with the progress we have made. Revenue is growing close to 40%. And we surpassed 8 million subscribers this quarter, which was above any goals that we could have dreamed only a year ago.
2: All right. So are you worried uh, that everyone will go back to the central office and stop making their home office uh, a place that they work? I mean, you know, that's what I did. You know, I love my my Hewlett Packard. I'm showing you my I don't know if you see it. But what happened is, is I decided to build a home office, too, because I lost my office downtown. How many people do you think are going to go back to work and they're going to no longer need more Hewlett Packard equipment?
3: What this crisis has showed is that we we are a very resilient company. We have a very strong consumer business that is helping us now, but we also have a very strong consumer business, both in print and in personal systems. So when people will go back to the office, our commercial business will grow again. And this is one of the key strengths of the company, this balance that we have, that has proven to be really great during this period of time.
2: All right, do I have to worry about personal systems margins going to 5.1 when I was hoping for 5.3? Will that be a sticking point?
3: We have the change in margins in PCs is driven by mix. We have seen tremendous growth on the consumer side that, yes, has driven margins down, but that has created a lot of business opportunities for us in that space. And we are really pleased with the performance of the PC business. The unit growth has been tremendous. We shipped 19 million PCs, as I said before, which is record-breaking. And we're making great progress in all the key categories that we shared in the Plus. We wanted to grow premium, gaming, accessories. We grew accessories by 59% this quarter. This is a great growth opportunity for us going forward. So it's Great progress this year, but great momentum going forward.
2: Enrique, do you think enough people know about touch screen? Do enough people know about the fold? Do enough people know about the fabulous banging & and sound system? Do enough people know about the trappings? Do enough people know about the lightness, that it doesn't hurt your back? We've got 30 million people with pains, with problems with their back. Why isn't that story told?
3: Well, we are driving and t- telling the story as much as we can. And one of the things we're going to do, Jim, is to hire you as one of our spokespeople, because you really know our technology. Thank you for that.
2: <laughs> well, I like I am a user, and but more important, our, our viewers, our owners. And I think it's terrific what you've done, because you promised to buy back all that stock and to use the cash flow. But when are we going to see more from 3 d printing, which you said recently in a talk is a possible Five hundred billion dollar market. I had felt four years ago when I first saw what you guys were doing, that you'd be dominated. 2016. Dion showed me in 2016, I said, they're going to dominate. Hasn't happened yet.
3: We continue to see 3D printing and as a great business for us in the future. And this quarter, we announced tremendous opportunity in that space. What we are doing is we are not going to be shipping printers and supplies only. We are going to also own some key applications where our technology will allow us to capture special value. And we announced this quarter the technologies that we have announced to create molds for molded fiber, which is really a great new technology that more and more companies are using to replace plastic in their packaging. And with our technology, we can create molds that will allow companies to create packagings that before was not possible. And this will allow us to really create and capture more value in that application than just by selling printers and supplies.
2: And what do you say to the folks at Xerox who uh, were probably going to buy this company a little less than where it's trading at and lever it up and maybe, uh, I don't know, have it go bankrupt? What do we say to them? Well, what I have
3: to say is that we are focused on driving our strategy. We are making great progress both in driving our business and in creating value for our shareholders. And this is my number one priority and the number one priority of every employee in this company. Is it
2: United States' story? I know that you, you said you'd turn around Europe printing first. It looks like Europe's strong, too.
3: We, we have seen strength across the business in the U.S., in Europe, and in Asia. Really, it's not about geographical differences. It's about the strength of our consumer business, both in personal systems and in print. People working from home, kids learning from home, kids playing from home, is proven to be an opportunity for us to sell more PCs, but also more printers and more supplies.
2: Well, look, well, congratulations for living up to exactly what you said you'd do, and then some, which is what we want out of executives in this country. Enrique Lores, President and CEO of HP, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Jim. Thank well, you. I got a text from him at 2 a.m. saying, look out. Well, you know what? I went and got up and started working. It was very valuable to me. I keep my phone all night. Don't call me. That's Enrique Lores, President CEO of HP. Mad Money is back after the break.
1: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.
0: Hey there, I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down.
2: Over the past two weeks, the poster child for overheated, hydrogen-powered electric vehicle socks. Nikola, it's come roaring back. 18 34. For those of you who don't remember, Nikola is the speculative EV play with a hydrogen kicker that came public over the summer via reverse merger with a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. The stock initially caught fire, and by September, the company had made a transformative deal with General Motors to collaborate on an electric pickup truck, but to do much more than that. Uh, Then a few days later, a short seller published a scathing research report accusing Nikola and its founder of outrageous acts of fraud. So then the stock plunged below 20 bucks, and for a while, that's where it stayed. But Nikola brought in new management. They kept working on their truck and their hydrogen technology, and even after all the bad press, GM hasn't pulled the plug on their partnership, but we lack clarity on the current relationship. We also need clarity on partnerships that could build out a much-needed hydrogen network and what help the government might even give to lower the cost of hydrogen. So is it time to take this company seriously again, given how much this market loves EV and hydrogen fuel cells? Let's take a, a fresh look. It's a fresh look with Mark Russell. He's the new president and CEO of Nikola. Get a better sense of what's happening. Mr. Russell, welcome to Mad Money.
0: Thanks Jim. Thanks for having me. All right let's be here talking about hydrogen.
2: Of course. All right so Mark, tell me uh, after a kind of a let's say tumultuous period, why you are the person to take Nikola into the promised land of maybe the greenest fuel out there, hydrogen.
0: Well the whole team here is excited about hydrogen. That's what we've been focused on for for several years now here. We think hydrogen is part of the solution for a zero emission future.
2: right, but then remember we did have there were some issues that occurred. Uh, issues that occurred that made it so that we don't even know if your GM deal is going to happen. That could expire soon, the pact with, with GM. And there were obviously issues that I think people felt were uh, were signs of fraud. Uh, a truck that was sent down a hill uh, to show that the company was got an engine that worked that turned out to be actually, uh, say, suboptimal in describing what Nikola does. Well,
0: Jim, we have lots of we have a several trucks that work we have, uh, we have fuel cell trucks that work we have our first battery truck that now is on the dyno and has been on the track the uh, the Nikola Trey, which is was being finished up in Germany and the production prototypes we have, we have a number of trucks that work we hold we hold beer on public roads ranheiser bush uh, you, you know a few seconds on uh, on Google, you find that, that video. Oh, absolutely. So we have, mean... we have a number of prototypes that work. And uh, we're focused on the future now going forward. Okay, how can you get the price, price of hydrogen down hitting...
2: to make it so it's viable?
0: Well, the key to getting the price of hydrogen down, Jim, is, is the price of electricity. And on that front, what people need to focus on is the price of green electricity. The electricity is coming from wind. Come, it's coming from solar. That's, that's the price that you need to focus on. We can make hydrogen for about a decimal move on the cost of the electricity, depending on a few other factors. So if you can get if you can get electricity at, at two cents a kilowatt hour, you can make hydrogen for two dollars a kilogram, which is way below the current retail price, as you know.
2: But do you have so enough money on look- hand to have that? Have? That's going to take a long time, right? Is that a 2030 issue, 2025? And does Nikola have enough money to see that vision out, particularly if, you, if the GM deal does not uh, come to fruition?
0: Yeah, our current plan is based on what we ended the quarter with, which we announced that in our earnings call. We got a, about $900 million on cash at that point. That's enough to fund our operations through this year and next year on into 22. Uh, we've been upfront all along that we would do one more tranche of equity raise uh, that we would need to do before we got to a self-sustaining run rate. Uh, we'll do that sometime next year when, it's, when, when conditions are right. Uh, so we, we do have the, the funds. We have the team. We have the partners and the ecosystem to support it. Uh, we don't believe that hydrogen is a 2030 or even a 2025 uh, solution. We, we, we've been dedicated now for several years to bringing hydrogen trucks and hydrogen stations to the world in 2023.
2: So you, you don't buy into the skepticism that, that one of the most wealthy people in the world, it's built a great empire, Tesla, that Elon Musk thinks that this is a fuel cell and not a fuel cell?
0: Well, he's partially correct on, on his analysis. Battery vehicles are super efficient, and we, we, we plan to make and sell those. The Nikola trade that we're bringing to the market next year is a battery vehicle. It works great for short haul. The problem here is long haul. Mm-hmm. How do you get big things long distances? That's the problem. Batteries don't do that very well because of energy density, and that's just physics. Batteries are still super heavy compared to how much energy is in there. Well, to go further than that with something really
2: heavy, you need hydrogen. Well, how about a partnership, say, with a BP or Royal Dutch? Both very forward companies. BP uh, is not the company of old. Uh, They would be natural partners to be able to do hydrogen fueling stations.
0: Yeah, those are two companies that have been very forward thinking and looking at a hydrogen future. Uh, In fact, Shell's joined a consortium uh, that we've, we've helped put together to make sure the fueling protocols are standard around the world which is important to make sure any, any vehicle can fuel in any station, unlike in electricity. But you're not uh, able with, to, to say
2: whether you have a partnership pending with BP or Royal Dutch or uh, be able to say what's going to happen to, uh, to GM when the deal can expire. They can finalize. If they don't finalize it by December 3, they can pull out.
0: Well, you know, we can't comment on uh, continuing uh, discussions, Jim, but uh, we're, we're interested in, in GM's hydrotech fuel cell system. It's very interesting to us. We're interested in their uh, Ultium battery system. Okay. Both of those things are interesting to us, and we continue to talk to them about those things.
2: All right. Let, let's talk about previous management. Uh, I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, that you co-owned an entity with Trevor Milton called uh, t and uh, Residual, owns 39 million shares. I understand that uh, you extended your lockup. There's a very big lockup coming up, the lockup expiration, that you've extended the period that you don't want to sell, especially the 39 million shares in the entity that you co-own. But uh, what happens if if Milton decides to sell? uh, He he owns an awful lot of stock. I mean, I, I would feel like that his 92 million shares might be free to trade. I don't know how much is locked up. I just worry. People will listen. They'll want to buy hydrogen, and they might run into a gauntlet of stock that is thrown down by, uh, by Trevor Milton.
0: Yeah, I, manage, I manage those t those m shares, and then we have a bunch of strategic partners who have taken big positions in the company. Many of them have joined our board of directors, Hanwha, CNH, Bosch, people like that, controlling a lot of shares. A number of those folks have agreed to extend their lockup to the end of April, May 1. So that's, I think, 135 million shares that have extended their lockup that actually won't would have otherwise, uh, that would have otherwise expired in uh, the first of December.
2: How about those 92 so, million shares that Trevor's free to trade next week? I mean, do we have any assurances from him? It doesn't seem like I, I well, it's up to him, obviously, but do you have any assurances that he might want to hold on here for the long term?
0: You know, can't comment for Trevor, of course, uh, but we believe that as we execute on our milestones and on our business plan, we're going to reward our long-term focused shareholders.
2: Okay, you know, And that's our Badger? focus is
0: on the long term. How's the
2: Badger doing? We're kind of excited about
0: the Badger. Well, the Badger is a cool truck. I, I think it's a cool truck. It's a truck I would, I'm interested so it's in personally. It's,
2: it's, a, it's in the, it's, it's in the uh, repertoire.
0: Well, it, ha- it has to have a business case, Jim. <laughs> it's got to be able to be something that, that makes sense for our shareholders. And we've got to have a partner because it, it isn't in our core plan. If you look at our core plan, that's about heavy trucks and hydrogen. Um, the Badger isn't in the core plan, which is why we said from the beginning, it takes a partner. So if we have a partner. It's in play. If we don't have a partner. It's not.
2: Uh, would you agree with me that it would really help uh, for Nikola to have GM for validity? In other words, uh, if GM owns a chunk of, of you, it lends the bank, it you know, lends back lends credibility. It would be easier to sell stock uh, to be able to raise money so you don't have to think about next year. Now, you might say, Jim, will you stop? You're just trying to pry this out of me. No, actually, I think a lot of people really hope that you have that relationship with GM. And I'm trying to to fuel that hope with legitimacy and reality.
0: Well, you know, I can't comment on that. <laughs> we, like, we like the, the fuel cell. Mary we like Barr,
2: the battery. The, the, no, you can't just say, hey, listen, I just talked to Mary. It looks pretty good. I wouldn't worry. How about, how about some reassurance? Reassurance is always good.
0: Can't do that, Jim. When we have something to tell you, we'll let you know.
2: Well, I hope you come on the show when you have it, because I think it could be very exciting (laughs) for people. Anyway, look, I think that, look, you know how I feel about hydrogen. It is the fuel of the future. You are the truck fuel of the future. I want it to work, but I don't want to get people's hopes up, because then what happens is insider selling starts, and Mary Barr might walk away. These are all the things I'm trying to avoid, like you are.
0: Love to have you on hydrogen side, Jim. It's awesome. I Thank am you.
2: on hydrogen. I'm a green hydrogen guy. I don't think it's I don't think it's a full cell. I think it's a fuel cell. Mark Russell, CEO of Nikola. Man Money's back here for the break. Every time I get a question about a stock I'm not all that familiar with, and boy, there are a ton of them since so many companies have come public. We take our time, we do the research, and we come back to you with a considered answer. Although sometimes it takes us longer than we should because there there is so much going on in the crazy market. So before we break for Thanksgiving, I want to catch up on some homework from October before the election and the vaccine news shook the world up. First off, on October 21st, Joe in California called in to ask about a company called TexTainer Group Holdings. I said, man, I got to do some more digging on this one. It's intriguing, but it's also a little tricky. See, TechStainer's in the intermodal shipping container business. You know those big metal containers that you can see on ships or, or that you see them on trucks like the big Union Pacifics and stuff? Well, that's called intermodal, and they're the lifeblood of global commerce. So where does TechStainer fit into the intermodal food chain? They buy intermodal containers, and then they lease them out to hundreds of customers, including the U.S. military. Think of it as an equipment rental place. This is an all-long-term business, been in business for a very long, long time. Uh, they own 3.6 million 20-foot equivalent units, or TEUs, of these containers, from basic dry freight containers to more specialized refrigerator containers. If it's intermodal, they've got it. But is not just in the leasing business. They're also in the resale business. And it's kind of like, you know, United Rentals does the same thing. What a hot stock that's been, right? They, uh, they sell more than 140,000 used containers per year, standard practice for the equipment rental space. Now, the thing about Textainer is that it's hyper-cyclical. People are liking those stocks. Ordinary equipment rental stocks rise and fall with the health of the broader economy. But on top of that, tech standards directly lever to global shipping. Specifically, what matters to them is the volume of stuff being shipped, whether by gigantic uh, container ships or trains or trucks. And that's why when the pandemic, the pandemic first hit, well, this thing, oh, my God, it just got crushed. It sank to five bucks and change as Wall Street freaked out about the economy over the past five months, though. Tech Sanders come roaring back because the shipping business is on fire. Everybody's stuck at home, which means we have a lot of spending money left over to buy goods and goods need to be transported. By the time Joe called to ask about this one a month ago, the stock had surged to $16.58. So I wish I just told him to buy it there. And then. But because Tech Sanders now over 19, its highest levels in nearly three years, right before President Trump's trade war put the kibosh on Chinese imports. There are a couple of things going on here. First, demand for the company's shipping containers is booming because there's so much stuff to transport. So rental rates for those containers have been rising dramatically. They've currently leased out nearly 98% of their capacity. Plus, it doesn't hurt that TechStaner's been very disciplined about adding new containers for the past couple of years. One reason rental rates are exploding. When the company reported its third quarter results, the numbers were much, much better than expected, with some very positive commentary and a pretty bullish outlook for the future for the cyclical stock. And there's one last positive here. Get used to hearing this from me. Tech is what I call a Biden stock. The overwhelming consensus is that a Biden White House will be more amenable to trading with China than Trump has been. Not hard. Whether you think that's good or bad policy, it's undeniably good for Tech bottom line. So even though this stock's had a huge run, you know what? I think it's still worth the money, given that the darn thing sells for just nine times next year's earnings. That's cyclical, I know, but nine times still a little too low. That said, it's had a big move, so ideally you buy something and wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger. Next up, October 28th, NJ in Indiana asked me about NIU Technologies, MU, which is another one of those red-hot Chinese electric vehicle plays, and I said I'd circle back to it. Now, please don't confuse NIU with NIO. NIO makes cars. It's trying to become the Chinese Tesla. NIU, on the other hand, is all about smaller two-wheel vehicles like electric mopeds, bicycles, motorcycles. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky thing. You you can buy the product right now. You know They're they're selling them in America for a, a, a year. Yesterday, the whole electric vehicle complex screamed higher yet again, but not with NIU, which actually plunged nine percent after the company reported not so a quarter. So someone actually cared about the earnings. While it's still up nearly six bucks since N.J. asked about it. Uh, that's less crazy than some of the other moves we've seen in this cohort. As I said to to Leslie and Wolf, th- this is where things are most overheated. So what went wrong here? Is it a temporary blip or something more serious? Okay, in early October, NIU reported some spectacular quarterly sales. And it could be new, but I I don't want you to confuse it with Neo. They moved more than 250,000 electric scooters, up nearly 68% year-over-year, an acceleration from 61% volume growth in the previous quarter, and just 40% growth in the first quarter. Meanwhile, they're having tons of success with their new offerings, like the electric uh, bicycle models that have come out this year. These sales numbers just kicked off the most recent leg of the rally. Of course, yesterday that move got derailed when NIU reported its full third-quarter results. Like General Motors, these guys released their volume numbers a few days after the quarter ends and then gave you the full earnings report over a month later. What was wrong with NIU's latest numbers? First, even though they're selling a ton of electric bicycles, the selling prices are much lower than the analysts expected, despite the fact that management warned them that that would happen. Second, while the volume numbers we sold last month looked good, NIU's actual third quarter sales were weaker than expected, which then translated into a sizable earnings miss. Making things more complicated, management's commentary in the current quarter was decidedly suboptimal. New told us that they sold less than 32,000 scooters in October. Man, that's down 6% from last year. That's bad. Their international business is growing by leaps and bounds, but their Chinese business is stagnating, even though the Chinese economy is red hot. It's down 9 percent. The members looking better. Uh, but NIU gave you some hideous sales guidance for the fourth quarter. They're talking about making 86 to 93 million. Wall Street was looking for 120 million. Of course, this company does have a history of practicing UPOD, which is under and over But this doesn't feel like UPOD. The forecast was grim. So what do we do with this one? I got to tell you, I'd love to be able to recommend NIU. It's an electric vehicle play that's actually profitable. In fact, it's been profitable since last year. In fact, the analysts think they can make 81 cents per share next year and about 20 per share in 2022. So the stock is surprisingly cheap when you judge it based on the out years. But the whole electric vehicle space is red hot right now. NIU things surged 72% since the end of September. Even after yesterday's meltdown, it's up. for November. I could justify buying a stock hit for that kind of move, but not when it just missed the earnings estimate by a mile. Fourth quarter sales forecast was 25% weaker than expected, for heaven's sake. I can't recommend a stock in the wake of those numbers, not when it's already this overheated like so many others in the category, but a lot of those don't have to worry about earnings. They can just worry about sales or concept. In fact, miu has got a great concept, but I'm too worried about the execution to give it my blessing. At least, not right now. If you want a red, hot, hot electric vehicle stock, want to go with Tesla. That money's back in for you. It is time. It's time for the What's round. Wait a What's Wait a second. Wait a second. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dang, down to the lightning round comes Jose in Florida. Jose! Give me Chill, a big Florida. I know in the past you've worn against this company due to its dependency on popular video game titles like Fortnite. However, in their most recent earnings, they exceeded expectations fivefold. I'm talking about Turtle Beach. They did. Uh, they actually did have earnings. It's kind of shocking. I mean I can't just like it as much as I did. Uh, let me delve into the earnings, okay? Because I know that it went from being seemingly expensive to seeming cheap, and we're going to do some more work on it. Let's go to Charles in Maryland. Charles! Yes, good evening, my good man. How are you doing? Oh, oh man, having a good time. How about you? What, I Very want more Hang in there. Listen, okay. the information you can give me can make me feel better. Listen, I'm uh, looking at Dexcom with this continuous glucose monitoring device along with uh, Abbott Laboratories who has the backup of pharmaceuticals going along with it, Dexcom is really permanent as of late. So I wanted to see what your feelings were in respect to you one You know what? Here's what the the happened other. there. This morning, uh, David Faber and a squawk of the street, and Carl Quinton uh, and I, we interviewed uh, Medtronic. And the CEO of Medtronic said, okay, he's done with losing to Abbott Labs and to Dexcom, and he's going to come on very strong. Well, that's a little, that's a, uh, that can be, um, let, let's just say, if, so to speak. So, it just made everybody a little more uh, careful, and that's the way I think you have to approach these stocks. Let's go to Henry in Michigan. Henry! Hey, how are you doing? Very well. Hey. How about you? Good. I appreciate your no-hold-bars bars, hold bars uh, comments on uh, stock reports. But anyhow, I bought uh, a Chinese battery company. The letters are C-B-A-T. Yeah, I mean... And what am I going to say? Uh, you know, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. I mean, the stock has had a monster move, okay? I think that NIO, NIU, this, they've all run up so much. I, I just can't recommend them here. I know that that is going to make people feel awful who own them, but I can't. And I know I read my feed and people say, well, I'm an idiot because blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Hey, call me an idiot. I, you know, I mean, fine. Just don't call me late for dinner. Let's go to Polani. Pilani in Wisconsin. Pilani. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah.
1: Yeah, lantern beaver first color. caller.
2: Okay.
1: Thank you so
3: much for your valuable uh, comments, and uh, I was able to, you know, uh, categorize my portfolio. Thanks for your uh, advice and all those stuff. And today is my question on Centene. The ticker symbol is CMC. Uh,
2: Centene! Oh, Michael Nydam is doing a good job. Remember, this is not the kind of stuff. When people are, when the economy's roaring, people back away from centine. Um, but then, when the economy slows down a little, which it always does, then Centene goes back up. So you just have to hold it for the long term because Michael Nydam doing a very great job. And that, Legend, good, have the lightning round. The lightning round
0: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Mr. Kramer, absolutely love the show. We really appreciate you out there, man. Booyah to so my kids, Emma and Aiden. They're in elementary school learning so much from you.
1: Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I know you hear this all the time, Jim, but
2: thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been my best year by far and away in the market. I just want to thank you for, you know, looking out for the regular guys out there. I am trying to teach people to be better investors, and I am doing my darn best. That's the goal here. Great
0: to
3: hear your voice and know that you're there for us.
2: you have too much of a good thing? Yes, absolutely. That's why the oil stocks are roaring today, now that there's no chance the election will be overturned. Now, if you find that confusing, you're not alone. The Republicans love oil. One of Trump's first acts as president was to make the CEO of ExxonMobil his secretary of state. The Democrats tend to be a lot more hostile to fossil fuels. Yet President Trump, he almost killed the oil industry. Now President Biden's going to save it, at least for the moment. And that's what the stocks are saying. When you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Trump gave the oil companies too much of a good thing. This has been a drill baby drill presidency. It's almost embarrassing the lengths they were willing to go through to open up new acreage. I mean, they even willing to spoil the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, despite the fact that we're already awash in oil in the lower 48. With the price of crude in the mid-40s, the last thing we need is more drilling. President Trump doesn't seem to believe in global warming, and he apparently never gave a second thought to more straightforward environmental consequences like oil spills. In other words, he gave the oil industry exactly what it wanted. Unlimited drilling with very little, uh, let's say, limited regulation. The result, we witnessed an insane race to the bottom with all these oil companies bidding up the price of land, particularly in the Permian, then overproducing to the point of saturation. As the late Aubrey McClendon of Chesapeake Energy always told me, oil people will keep drilling and pumping regardless of price. It's just who they are. Sure enough, the producers kept producing and the pipeline companies built new pipe all over the country. It's been great if you want cheap gasoline prices, but terrible if you own any stocks in the oil complex. Now, though, it's all come to an end. We're getting a new, more environmentally friendly president who will be able to roll back many of these policies. And that's why the stocks have been rallying. Oh, an oil price from 40 to 45 is not it. It's this. It's what I'm talking about. Wall Street's betting that Biden will cur- curtail drilling, first on federal lands and then on non-federal lands, by making new rules that forbid excess methane. That's that flare and stuff that you can see from Mars. Well, at least the moon. It would drastically reduce the ability to drill because methane's a byproduct of oil production. If the Biden EPA creates stringent federal rules for methane emissions, and I think they will, well, that could crush the entire fracking industry. The result? Well, because the United States is the swing producer, less production means oil prices go back up and then the industry gets saved, especially once we get vaccinated, people can go out again. Bizarrely, Biden will be the savior of the oil industry because they need the government to stop them from flooding the market with supply because that's all they know to do. And that's why I still think it's safe to buy Chevron and Pioneer for now. On top of that, Biden will speed up the shuttering of all coal plants as part of a transition to a cleaner electric grid. But we don't have the technology to go all in on renewables, which means we'll need natural gas to make up the difference. And that's excellent for turbine maker GE. No, you wonder why that stock's over 10. What else? Biden's more business friendly than most Democratic politicians, but his base hates oil pipelines with the fire of a thousand suns. Less new pipe means the scarcity value of existing pipelines should increase, hence why the pipeline master limited partnership stocks, after just being dead as a doorknob for so long, are showing some signs of life. Of course, all this is purely theoretical. We don't actually know how far Biden will go when it comes to reigning in the oil producers. But we do know the age of totally unbridled fossil fuel production is now over. And counterintuitively, that's good news for the oil and gas industry and their stocks even as I ultimately think that big institutions will shy away from those same stocks under pressure from environmentalists who believe their time has come and gone. I like I say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Hey there,
0: I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down.